Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, it's a brand new year of Dumpster Fire movies and we've got a really interesting one for you to kick it off. Today we're talking about the 1985 crime horror comedy, Crime Wave. This was a very interesting movie. Alright, so yeah, if you look at this movie, like it's pedigree, this should have been a great movie. You got the Coen brothers, right before they got like really big with Raisin Arizona. Right. You have Sam Raimi. Uh, he already did Evil Dead One. He's about to. He's writing Evil Dead Two as he's writing this movie, or as he's directing this movie. Right. It's a basic thing of like the studio sticking their heads in and like just totally like because like if they had Bruce Campbell playing the lead role, right? Yeah. As, instead of the bad guy, this would have been a great movie. But because they have the the main guy and the main chick are like deadpan, like. No one, not interesting at all, you know? Right. Dong way you're falling is bad guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This movie was made on a budget of $2.5 million. And because Sam Raimi's not used to, wasn't used to working with a studio, it went way over budget. And that pissed the studio off. So they basically took over control of the film from him. Yeah. It's like you got a friend and he's going to help you work on your house and he gives you a bid, but he totally like underbids it. Yeah. And he shoots himself in the foot. That's exactly uh, what happened. Yeah. It almost ruined his career and, you know, the and everybody career. that he takes with him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, even though we had a budget of two and a half million dollars. This movie made a grand total of $5,101 at the box office. Yeah. Because it was released for seven weeks in seven theaters and nowhere else. This is like one of those uh, hidden gems like that shouldn't have been released. But, you know, because of like, you know, nerds like us and, uh, you know, Shout Factory. Thank God Shout Factory put this out on Blu-ray. This movie would have been lost at the time. It was released under under very interesting titles in other countries. The French title is Dead on the Grill. You got to love those French people, man. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, where that comes from. It's, it's just so bizarre. It's kind of like this movie. And as long as we're talking about the movie, I mean, I know this was early in Sam Raimi's career. It was yeah. early in the career of the Coen brothers. But yeah. still... This movie cannot decide if it's taking place in the 1980s, the 1970s, or the 1940s. Or in like a damn Looney Tunes cartoon, you know? That's true, too. So before, so, we, before we get into this movie, so I've watched these movies a couple of times before, before we sit down to talk about them. And I don't think my reaction to this is, is unique. I think... Most people would share this reaction. The first time you watch this movie, you say, what the hell am I watching? This is retarded. Pretty sure you were cussing me out the first time you had to watch this. Yeah. The second time I watched it, I realized 
I already know the story. So I'm paying attention to how the story is being told. Right. This movie is Bugs Bunny. Yes. It's Tom and Jerry. Yes. It's the Three Stooges, the Monkees, and Laurel and Hardy. See, it's got a good pedigree. It should have, it's like, it's it's like either it was too ahead of its time or the studio like just totally fucked it up when they edited it. It was a little bit, it was a little bit of both. I mean, basically this was Sam Raimi writing a love letter to all of the films that he grew up with. All the, all the media makers that he grew up on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he went so far over budget that the studio took control. Now the studio agreed to make this movie with him based solely on the success of evil dead, but studios don't make films the way independent filmmakers do. Right. And when an independent filmmaker wants to make a movie the way an independent filmmaker makes one, the studio will laugh and pat him on the head and say, this is the way we do it here. And if he doesn't fall in line, they basically take over. And that's, that's kind of what happened here, mostly because of the budget. Like I said, it had a budget of two and a half million dollars, but they ended up paying three times what they had planned for, for one of their shooting locations. Sam Raimi loves to use credited actors in the background, which means you got to pay them a whole lot more than the $25 a day the extras get paid back in 1985. Yeah. Plus, uh, it's his first like big role or big film. Right. He didn't think about unions and stuff. Right. Yeah. All the the unions like- were, were a big part of the budget overruns, the, the union regulations and, and costs there. The, the fact that you can't make these guys stay on set 16 hours a day because they're in the union and you have to uh, uh, abide by the union contract for how long they can work. Yeah. You know, oh, they even got production assistance from Norman Lear on this movie. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what his input was there. As you said, the movie directed by Sam Raimi, who is a legend of crappy TV and film. I love this guy. He's like one of my patron saints, you know. Evil Dead 1 and 2 really did a number on me. Dark Man, Dr. Giggles. Like, I just go down the list. He's every, you know, like every movie he's put out, like, I've liked. He made like, the first three Spider-Man movies. Oh, yeah. No, that, Spider-Man 2 is like the best. The Doc Ock storyline. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't get me started. Also responsible for Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, Zena, The Warrior Princess, Legend of the Seeker. I know that one doesn't sit well with everybody, but, you know, he made it. Yeah. Uh, and remember, he made that uh, cameo appearance selling condoms in a drive-in theater restroom in Blood Rage. Check out episode 25 for that one. Yeah. Him and his brother are like king of cameos. I don't know how they do it. Written by Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers. Coen brothers known for Fargo, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, No Country for Old Men, The Big Lebowski, and Raising Arizona. Uh, Raising Arizona is one of my favorite movies. That and what is it? Uh, Oh, man. It was one of their newer ones. It was like a a sequel to a movie that they did. A Very Strange Man or something like that. I don't know. It's about this guy that's going through like a midlife crisis in the 70s. I don't think I know that one. Oh, man. It's a great movie. Yeah, anything. But this movie, 
almost simultaneously killed both their careers as soon oh, as they yeah. started. Two great titans of film, you know, the Coen brothers and Sam Raimi just almost bit it as soon as out the gate. Now, another another effect of the studio stepping in here, Sam Raimi, of course, wanted to edit the movie himself. And the studio said, nope, we got a guy and and just took over all of the editing. He was not allowed any input on that. That's that's probably why the movie doesn't congeal the way it should. Yeah, right. That and the main actor. Reed Burney is the main actor who stars as Victor Ajax. This is the role that was written for Bruce Campbell. But the studio said, well, why don't you bring him in here and let him audition? Something that Raimi had never asked Bruce Campbell to do ever. Yeah, And he came in and auditioned and the studio informed Sam Raimi, there's no way he's playing that part. It was written for him. They Uh. wanted a Hollywood actor, so they got a Broadway actor to play Victor. Yes, like I've never seen this guy. He kind of looks like nine guys from like, I don't know, L.A. Law or uh, E.R. or something. He looks like some background doctor or lawyer guy, but I've never seen him in anything except for this movie. Yeah, and that's because he's a stage actor primarily. He has won a number of awards as an actor both on and off Broadway. In film and TV, he's appeared in House of Cards, The Blacklist, Kings, which was a short-lived, wonderful CBS series starring Ian McShane. I love Ian McShane. This was uh, kind of a reimagining, alternate reality, David and Goliath story with Ian McShane as King Saul. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. It was wonderful, and it only it was canceled after the first season. Oh, yeah, I see y'all are good that they get rid of, man. He was also on 321 Contact and Tales from the Crypt. Three, two, the PBS show? Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. We also have Cherie Wilson as Nancy, known for her recurring roles on Walker, Texas Ranger and all of the reunion Walker, Texas Ranger shows. See, I mean, what the hell? And that, got- was even, that was even after, that was years and in some cases decades after this movie. So she That's- was relatively relatively obscure before this movie was made yeah edward pressman as ernest trend as an actor he's only got two credits this movie and street fighter he, he's a producer that's what he does he's a producer on this film he owns pressman films which is responsible for movies like the crow american psycho wall street das boot conan the barbarian conan the destroyer Ow. His production company has made movies for people like Oliver Stone, Danny DeVito, Alan Rickman, and Brian De Palma. So, yeah. He's a producer. Good to be the king, huh? (laughs) And and you know, his performance in this movie reminded me of Jason Alexander's role as George Costanza. Yeah, no. Yeah, totally. Especially when he's uh, cussing out his wife as he's walking them. Yes. Yeah. That's 100% George right there. Well, Ernest Trent's wife, Helene, is played by Louise Lasser. Remember that crazy woman from Blood Rage episode 25? She's back. Oh, yeah. She's playing a crazy woman again. Yeah. Well, this movie was actually made two years before Blood Rage. Yeah. Oh, man. I got a little behind the scenes story about this. Uh, She was so coked up that she refused makeup and she would do her own makeup. 
Yeah, she fired her makeup, uh, hair and makeup artist and did her own hair and makeup. And man, can, does it show? She is on edge like 90% of the time she's on camera. There's one part where she actually seems kind of chill and relaxed. The rest of the time she's like screaming or just got this weird animalistic look on her face. Yeah. And when she doesn't, she's she's completely zoned out. Yeah. It's it's oh man. Yeah. Addiction's a bad addiction's a terrible thing. Yeah. Brian James is Arthur Cottish. He reminds me of a young Michael Keaton. Yeah. Mainly just his smile. Wait, which one's Arthur? Arthur's the one with the real high voice and okay. the and the long curly hair. Yeah. Arthur reminds me of the weasel, like the head weasel from Roger Rabbit. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like when they did Roger Rabbit, it's like, hey, you remember that crap movie that no one watched? Make it look like him. This move Roger Rabbit was one of the first things I thought about when I was watching this. I know, right? And that and Cool World. Oh, yeah, most definitely. The stylized coloring and uh, the lighting yeah. and shit. It's just the overacting in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, I love that guy. He's been in so many movies. Right. Uh, TV shows. Like, he, like, he's really one of my favorite actors. He's known for appearing in all of the 80s cop dramas. If you know an 80s cop drama, he was in it. That one, too. Yeah. Yep. Also appeared in 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, Fifth Element with Bruce Willis, and my all-time favorite movie of all time forever, Blade Runner. Yeah. I'll tell you about my mother. <laughs> he's, he's the first one that gets caught. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, he's been in everything, man. He's a great actor. Yeah, he's a really good character actor. We got Paul Smith as Farron Crush appeared in a number of Israeli films. He also played Bluto opposite Robin Williams in the cinematic disaster Popeye. Love that movie. That uh, ended some careers for real. Yeah, that's like this movie. It was like, uh, it, like they went out there and they they had a vision and yep. the studio didn't like it and they sold it anyway, you know, but. Finally, we got Bruce Campbell as Ronaldo the Heel. If you don't know who Bruce Campbell is, shame on you. Yeah, just stop listening to us. Like, because that guy. <laughs> Bruce Campbell. He's got a chainsaw for a hand. And a boomstick. Oh, hell yeah. Appeared almost exclusively in short films from 1972 until The Evil Dead in 1981. Also appeared in Maniac Cop 2, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., The Adventures of Lois and Clark, Weird Science, Hercules, Xena, Burn Notice, and Lodge 49, which I really want to watch that. I've watched like one episode of it, and I've been meaning to get back to it ever since, and I haven't made it yet. Also uh, was in My Name is Bruce, which I think he directed and wrote that. Okay. Which is about... Bruce Campbell getting stuck in a like a small little redneck town and like these horror fans like him and his horror fans have to fight like an evil monster. Also in uh, one of my uh, favorite kind of shit movies, um, the Bubba Hotep. Yes. Uh, directed by the guy that did Phantasm where he plays uh, Elvis in a nursing home that beats up a zombie with the black JFK. I was reading about that one today. That really needs to be on our list. Oh, yeah, it's a great movie. Body count for a Hitman movie is not very high. Yeah. 
We got a pair of business partners, a pair of exterminators, a helpful neighbor, and a slow driver, and that's about it. <laughs> it's a comedy, so, you know. That's true. That's true. The movie starts out the way every melodrama should start out on a dark and stormy night. A car full of nuns are racing through the streets listening to a report of an upcoming execution of Victor Ajax. And they've got a line of plastic Jesuses glued to the dashboard and they're just hauling ass. (laughs) (laughs) In the Hudsucker Penitentiary, a prisoner is electrocuted. Then somebody yells, you're next, Ajax. And we see guards and a priest walking Victor to the execution chamber. And the dialogue and the delivery here are a lot like, I mean, you can tell this guy works almost exclusively in stage plays yeah, because his delivery is not intended for for screen. He's not acting for the camera. He's acting for the back row in the theater. Yeah, the way he's he's delivering his lines. Yeah, it's it's totally like that, especially the way he's like projecting. Yeah, exactly. also, like he's he's trying to like tell these guards like, "Hey, I'm not the killer. Please believe me. I get you know. I know I got like five minutes left, but I, I'm not the killer." Right. And they, he's walking to this thing the way they filmed it and stuff. The funniest thing is the uh, like the trigger man, the closer they got because he the close the 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 guy that does the the execution. Right. He's like it's like it's a barber chair, and he's like <laughs> he's awesome. He's this, yeah. He looks like a really creepy undertaker or mortician. Yeah. This guy, his job is to execute people. And not only is he really good at his job, but he loves his job. He goes the extra mile every time. He does. It's all about customer service. And so it's so weird because like the man... <laughs> It's like delivering uh, a bunch of exposition, right? Yeah. And you can't really listen to him because you're looking at this executioner. Right. And it's so funny. And also there's like a, there's a news people there taking photos. Right. That's Owen Brothers as the photographers. Nice. Yeah. And they've got those old, old style cameras, that could, the big cameras that you got to hold up with two fists and they got the big bright flash bulbs in them. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. Flash vibes like crazy. Yeah. Well, like you said, Victor's trying to explain his innocence as they walk him to the electric chair. He was a security system installer for, for Mr. Odegaard, who was not a very nice guy. And he was planning to sell the security company to Ronaldo the heel so that Ronaldo could turn it into a, a girly club. <laughs> yeah. Odegaard wants Ronaldo to keep the sale a secret from Mr. Trend, his partner. And then we get a cartoon smoke ring blowing contest. Yeah. Mr. Odegaard is blowing smoke rings with his cigar. Ronaldo thinks that's cute. He takes a big drag off his cigarette and blows a, a, a dancing go-go girl. Oh, yeah. It's just like James Bond, but... Uh... A little cruder, you know, not as sexy, but, you know, she still got all the curves there. Right. This is the bit that made me think of Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, somehow Mr. Trend found out what was going on anyway. Cut back to the prison and they're forcing Victor into the execution chamber. He has stopped walking, so they're just shoving him along. 
feet first into the execution chamber. That's funny as hell, too. (laughs) Back in the office, Mr. Trend is very ominously tapping a cigarette on a matchbox. Every time the matchbox hit, every time the cigarette hits the matchbox, it sounds like a hammer, a hammer blow on something. Yeah, that's totally like a Sam Raimi type thing where he messes with the audio. Right. That's like one of his calling cards, you know, it's like uh, just totally over the top just uh, in your face. Well, it's an exterminator company that's calling and Mr. Trend tells him to go ahead and do it tonight. Apparently, he has hired hitmen to kill Mr. Odegaard. Back in the prison, they are locking Victor into the electric chair and he's still still claiming his innocence. And. If they could just find Nancy, she could explain everything. We don't know who Nancy is yet, but we're going to find out pretty quickly. Yeah. Back to the past. We cut real quick from the prison to the past to the present to the past over and over again throughout this movie. There's the, the thing about it is early in the movie, we're cutting real fast and there's, there's not a lot of downtime. There's, you know, things move pretty quickly. Yeah. When we get about two-thirds of the way through this movie, it becomes a real slog fest, though. Oh, yeah. It's like exposition, exposition. And they set it up, like, with the wraparound. It's like, there's a guy, he's about to get uh, electrocuted, and he's trying to, like, you know, tell the story, right? So, it's all going to, you know, you know where he's going to end up. He's going to end up, you know, on death row. And so, it's kind of boring, but he's kind of, you know, he's setting the stage and stuff. And so, yeah, like, yada, 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 I didn't do it. She's, she's the only one that can clear my name. And apparently nobody knows who she is. No. Or where to find her. And we still don't know anything about these nuns. Well, Victor, we cut back to the, the past, and Victor is installing sound-activated cameras in the hallway of an apartment building. When Mr. Trend arrives, Mr. Trend is awfully distracted. He doesn't even acknowledge Victor when Victor says hello to him, walks right past him and into a janitor closet and closes the door behind him and says, honey, I'm home. <laughs> That's funny as shit. <laughs> uh, Victor walks over and instead of opening the door to see what happened, he, he knocks on the door and waits yeah. for Mr. Trend to answer. Mr. Trend an- comes to the door and says, oh, Victor. What's on your mind? You know, you walked into a broom closet. Well, Mr. Trend tries to play it off as as something that's just hilarious. He heads back to the door to his apartment. Instead of walking in, he knocks on the door to his own apartment. Like he's waiting for someone to come to the door. Yeah. Ace totally doesn't have his mind. Right. Kelly, he's like so damn nervous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he just hired somebody to kill his business partner. They zoom in on his eyes and if they're all twitchy. Right. You know, and it's just, it's, he, he, yeah, he's sweating. Well, Victor says he's just got one more camera to install and then he's going to head back to the shop. But Mr. Trend doesn't want him going back to the shop. He's got hitmen showing up there, but he can't tell Victor that. Instead, he waxes philosophical for a moment and basically tells Victor that instead of instead of going back to the shop, why don't you take the rest of the day off and see if you can't find yourself a girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> he totally is like, hey, you know what? You're overworking yourself. Just go chase some tail. 
<laughs> and this guy, he's such a weirdo. Uh, the Victor guy, he's out. He sounds like Weird Al. Yes. He, he kind of reminds me of Weird Al, but like even weirder. Like Weird Al, you can tell he's like kind of being a you know a character and stuff. It's this like guy, a cross between Weird Al and Rick Moranis. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's just you want to punch him. <laughs> And I'm a nerd, you know, I'm a nerdy guy, but like this guy kind of gets, you know, under my skin. I want to punch this guy. Yeah. But yeah, he's like, hey, you know, you work yourself to death. Don't even worry about it. Go out to a bar, get you a nice girl. And he starts like, you know, I got this lady inside. That's the only thing I worry about is keeping her happy. Go get you a girl. Yeah. Well, Victor takes that to heart. And in the elevator, he encounters the colonel. This is the only time we're ever going to see the colonel. But I love the colonel. Oh, yeah. He asked the colonel, how are you doing? He says, adequate. Adequate. (laughs) While they're in the elevator, the colonel mentions that there's a storm coming. You know how I can tell? He's got a steel plate in his head, complete with sound effects. That was awesome. The sound effects are like a cartoon. The acting, (laughs) the costumes, the lighting. They should have totally sold it Like right there. They sold it for me, I know. Yeah. He also warns Victor to watch out for that woman in apartment 4G. She'll slap you if you flirt with her. <laughs> Which is all the encouragement Victor needs. He needs to meet this woman in 4G. And he's got a book on how to talk to women. So everything should be A-OK. I love uh, when the colonel leaves as he's telling them that. You see <laughs> outside. And there's just trash everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. It, this movie takes place in Detroit. Well, Victor says the one perfect woman isn't going to just walk into his life, but then she seems to do exactly that and almost gets hit by a car while she's crossing the street. He totally gets hit by a car while crossing the street. <laughs> it's an exterminator van. Got a great big rat on the roof. Victor runs out to help and calls the driver a maniac. It turns out this girl isn't hurt at all. Victor helps her up onto the sidewalk, and and then the car that almost hit her comes back, tells Victor, don't you ever call me a maniac again, and just punches him in the forehead. And starts laughing like a dastardly cartoon character. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, Like, he's just standing there, and he's like, after the the colonel goes out, he's like, oh, man, I really need to meet a chick. And he sees that chick crossing the street, and she gets hit by the car, right? Yeah, he sees that, and his tie like flops up. <laughs> you know yeah, it's like it's like a um, almost, and this is the Tom and Jerry aspect. This is where Tom would see something shocking, yeah, and his hind end would go up in the air, his tongue would come out flapping, and his eyes would pop out of his head. Or it's like if they ate something hot in a cartoon, and it's like that kind of like stupid slapsticky just. Oh man, they really went for it. Like that whole that 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 effect is like oh, okay. Yes, this is a human cartoon we're watching. This is that's exactly what this is, and they really went. Victor awkwardly tries to make conversation with Nancy, and he's really bad at it. Oh yeah. Nancy goes back to her apartment. She's headed back to her apartment when she hears a crash behind her. And up comes up comes Victor tromping up the steps. That crash was him stepping in a mock bucket, and it's still on his foot. <laughs> this is totally a cartoon. Yeah, it's funny as shit, though. 
Well, Victor's standing there with a mop bucket on his foot trying to ask Nancy out on a date. And she shoots him down several times because he's he's not going to take no for an answer, but it's the only answer she's going to get. Yeah. Until her boyfriend, Ronaldo, shows up and steals the show. Hey, you want to go get some drinks? Sure. Okay. Yeah, he's being a swarmy, like, sleaze bag, and she's eating it up the whole time. Right. Vic is standing right there with his How to Talk to Girls book. Yep. And it's just, oh, man, so sad. It's like that song that I think it was Bill Hicks that did it called uh, Chicks Dig Jerks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I love Bill Hicks. <laughs> oh, Hitler had Ava Braun. Manson had Squeaky Fron. Ted Bundy got lots of dates. I wonder what I'm doing wrong. I don't pretend to understand women's little quirks. Just one thing I know for sure, chicks dig jerks. Next, we see the skyline of Detroit and a storm is blowing in. People are running for cover. Trash is blowing through the street. Um, A car runs over a guy in the street and then gets smashed by a light pole. Yeah. Oh, man. So many people get hit by a car. Everybody gets hit by cars. Yeah. Also, there's this part where the, the... newspaper hits the screen yeah and it says big storm coming and then underneath it it says uh military closed down murder site in tennessee wow yeah and that's an allusion to uh evil dead which evil dead takes place in tennessee it says, right yeah there we and go like, time space continuum opens up rift in tennessee and it's like a little kind of like you know wink wink nudge nudge nice but, uh, yeah a little little trivia there for you guys yeah, we see an exterminator van driving down an alley. This is Farron driving, and Arthur sitting in the passenger seat. He's reaching in the glove box for a pack of cigarettes. There's a pack of cools in there, <laughs> and as soon as he reaches for it, Farron just reaches over and slams the door on his fingers. Bam! And Arthur starts his cartoon yelling, and Farron's just laughing. This is the funniest thing he's done all day. It's like uh, it was. It's like a cartoon where it's like a, a big dog and a little dog, you know. Right. And the meat, the big dogs are just like sadistic as hell. <laughs> also, like the guy played Bluto, right, in Popeye. Right. But he was also Baron Harkonnen's nephew in Doom. He was, yes. Yeah, and so like, yeah, he, this guy is. Yeah, he's like a big sadistic, you know. He gets not, off on that. Not this most recent Dune, right? The one with Sting yeah. in it? No, yeah, the one with David Lynch. Yeah, the David Lynch Dune. Yeah. Which, I like. I love that movie. I don't want to him, you know? <laughs> I, I, I liked know. it, too. I mean, it, it's a cartoon version of a serious science fiction story. But yeah. <laughs> I liked it. David Lynch just has, like, really great visuals. And plus, didn't Toto do the soundtrack for that? Um, I don't know. They did. It was, it was, yeah, Toto did the soundtrack. They had Sting. Of course, he was like in a weird gr- uh, glass G-string or something. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was messed up. And that's what made it great. Yeah. Cut to Helene looking out the window as Ernest Tran tries to interest her in eating dinner. And not worrying about whether or not Mr. Odegaard is at the office late. Well, she thinks she sees somebody else in there with him and wants to go investigate. That was a really cool 
Scott when it comes to her. Yeah. Like the way they use that model and stuff. And that's that's Sam Raimi and like he's he's really picking like if you watch cinematography in this, he's really picking them shots. Right. Inside the security office, Arthur is approaching Mr. Odegaard, and he's got kind of a Ghostbusters like device for electrocuting rats. Yeah. But he changes the setting from rats to men and electrocutes Mr. Odegaard. <laughs> just blows up his glasses right off his face. Oh, man. Yeah. He's like just laughing like a madman. <laughs> right. This is also a man who enjoys his job. Oh, yeah. Back in the apartment, Mr. Trend apologizes for yelling at Helene because he absolutely lost it when she said she wanted to go investigate what was happening in the office. Oh, yeah. I love that too. It's funny as shit. He's like, he's such like, it's like, uh, oh man, what was that dog? Like droopy dog. He's kind of yeah. like that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, get the fuck away from the window. And he like smashes a whole book of matches. Yeah. And Louise Lasseter, she's just like, like a ghost all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> Why are you yelling at me? So Mr. Trend has decided he's going to go investigate. I'll go check it out. You wait here. I'm sure it's nothing. Well, he walks out and she's watching through the window with binoculars. But first, we need to see Ronaldo out with Nancy at a nearby swing dancing dinner club. Yeah, it's like something from the 40s or something, too. Right, right. This is exactly what I meant when this movie can't decide when it's set. And Ronaldo gets the check. Well, first of all, he's being a jerk to Nancy. Uh, yeah. She, apparently, he proposed something that she wasn't okay with. And he said she said that she wasn't that kind of girl. And he suggested if she practiced more, she could be. Oh, man. Only Bruce Campbell can deliver a line like that. <laughs> he's got the greatest lines in the movie. Right. And then the check comes. The check for dinner is $36, but he realize, he decides that um, if he's not getting any dessert, then he's not paying the whole check. And he's going to stick Nancy for $36 of this uh, $76 dinner bill. Yeah. He's like, well, you know, I only had the reserves, you know, and like a couple of glasses of champagne. So I want to put like $40 here. You know, that's the rest is you. And uh, we'll, just, we'll just call it even. Yeah. Then he walks off to find himself a new date in the same club. Chicks. Yeah. He goes to the redhead chick at the bar. Yeah. Said, I've never seen you around here. I like that in a girl. So back in the apartment, Helene is watching through the window with her binoculars as Ernest Trend heads into the security office while imagining his upcoming conversation with the police about what might have happened to Mr. Odegaard. He's kind of re rehearsing what he's going to say to the cops. Meanwhile, Mr. Odegaard's smoking corpse is on a shelf behind a curtain, which Ernest finds absolutely hilarious. Yeah, see, I didn't know if he saw that because the way he opens that like curtain, yeah. the, the corpse above him and it's creepily lit like green lights like a creep show or something. Yeah. and he just kind of looks behind the curtain and it doesn't seem like he's looking up. He just looks in and then it comes back out and he just starts laughing. So I don't know if he saw the corpse or he's just laughing at have, what he's saying. But yeah, no, nah, he, he totally opens it up. You get to see his, the, the guy's corpse. Right. 
gruesome as shit. It's like folded up or something up there. And, it's and like still he, smoking. Yeah, still smoking. Uh, like, uh, yeah. And he's, he just starts barking out laughter, like really loud. Yeah. Well, then he calls his wife to let her know everything's fine here. I'm on my way back. Don't worry about anything. And as he hangs up the phone, Arthur comes back with his electrocution box and he kills Mr. Trend. Arthur definitely has a problem. Yes. <laughs> he enjoys his work just a little too much. And he laughs like a cartoon character when he does it. He does. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the dinner club, Victor is explaining his existential crisis to Nancy of how finding the perfect partner. And then he starts reciting lyrics of the 1966 song Cherish by the Association. <laughs> Damn, and that's a n- Not even reciting them in a good way. It's deadpan, monotone recitation. I don't know. There's a bit right, be- or right before... The other guy gets electrocuted where they're still in the thing. And uh, Bruce Campbell's like leaving the chick. Uh, dude gets up in his face. Vic gets up in his face, right? And they start like kind of squaring off, like getting up each other's face, like talking to each other. And he right. punches Vic and Vic goes flying. He does. And then just breaks a table full of spaghetti. Like this guy, like seven dudes sitting around it. This was after. So this was right after. He propositioned Nancy and she didn't go for it. Nancy threw a went to throw a drink in Ronaldo's face and Ronaldo yeah. ducked and it splashed Victor instead. So he caught the drink in the face. He caught Ronaldo's fist in the face and he ruined somebody else's dinner by landing in the middle of their table. Again, it's like the guys getting murdered and that scene are like, in their splice and you're just cutting back and forth the pace right. is all but yeah that that was funny as shit too like the whole cartoon bit where he just like <laughs> block and then breaks the entire table full of spaghetti yeah back at the security office Farron puts out the flaming corpse of mr trend and then berates arthur for killing the guy who hired him arthur says well maybe we can tell him it's a two for one two for one sale and they both think that's hilarious yeah they lose their shit for that yeah i love that scene like uh because it cuts back uh to uh what's her name louise rassiter and she puts down her uh binoculars and it like goes through and then it shocks it zooms into the binoculars it's really cool like all yeah the- yeah the camera awesome. zooms into the eyepiece on the binoculars and it's like you're looking through the binoculars and seeing into and the office shock, and then that's when the other guy comes and it's like what are you doing and he's like yeah ah! Two for one, you know, and uh, it's like that guy could have <laughs> had a heart, dumbass. Yeah, on sale, you know. Yeah. Well, back in the club, Arthur is explaining the concept of the perfect match as Nancy watches Ronaldo leave with his new date. Uh, Ronaldo looks over at Nancy, so she grabs Victor and kisses him. And Victor doesn't realize, you know, that she's just using him for this. He thinks, well, I just found love. Yeah, he's a dipshit. He doesn't know what's going on. Right. <laughs> Helene's watching through the window again. She's got her binoculars, and this time Farron is dragging the bagged-up corpse of Mr. Odegaard uh, out into the street and putting it in the passenger seat of Mr. Odegaard's car. 
While she's watching, Helene accidentally knocks one of the flower pots off her windowsill and it crashes on the street, tipping off Farron that somebody's seen what's going on here. He's got to take care of this. So he's heading over to the apartment building. The, the door to the apartment building locks and Farron doesn't have a key. So he just punches through the glass and lets himself in. That's when a neighbor comes bursting out of the door, out of his apartment, to want to, wanting to know what the hell all this noise is. This is Mr. Yarman, and he's got shaving cream all over his face. He'll have the shaving cream for the entire time he's in the movie. Yeah. That seems <laughs> funny, shit, though, because like he's, he's putting a dead body in the car, right? Yeah. And then you hear the, the, you know, the classic flower pot drop sound. like Right. And then he says something like, lady, hey, lady, your luck's run out. He just like runs like a like a like a raging bull. And he's like, he turns to her. He turns around to her and he says, you didn't see nothing yet. Yet. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, that's that was funny. I kind of laughed at that shit. And then, yeah, he (laughs) barrels across the street like crazy. Yep. And scares the shit out of that guy. Well, Mr. Yarman gets immediately knocked out. Cold. In her apartment, Helene is watching the security cameras on a TV that's that's in there. As Farron approaches, he's coming up the stairs and she can see him on all the cameras. And she locks a whole bunch of locks on this door. It's like one of those classic New York apartments that's got eight deadbolts on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the club, the dancing is in full swing, and Nancy tells Victor that she can take care of herself. By the way, can I borrow $36? Sure. (laughs) Sure. If I had $36, I'd loan it to you. (laughs) But I don't have that kind of money on me. Well, the MC announces that the winner of tonight's dance contest will win $36. How convenient is that? Exactly thirty six dollars. He looks yeah. like says it, but it's funny as shit. So now we're in a dance contest, but things must not have gone very well for them in the dance contest because they're immediately in the kitchen washing dishes to pay off their dinner bill. The way they do that, the way they film that is just you know, they're doing dances and he's swinging her and stuff, and then like all of a sudden it's just it cuts to him in the kitchen still dancing. And he's still dancing like he's in the contest. He's still dancing, yeah. And that, I don't know, just that Judas position of like them dancing to him dancing and scrubbing pans. Yeah. It was just, I thought it was genius. Back in her apartment, Helene sees Farron peeking under the door. So what do you do when somebody's peeking under your door, Jesse? Oh, man. You grab a fork. There you go. You grab a fork and you stab him in the damn nose. We get a good look at how cheap these sets were built as Farron tries to break down the door and the entire wall moves. Oh, man, that happens a couple of times. Anytime this guy is doing something, the whole set literally shakes. Yeah, he doesn't hold back, like scale back his acting to to match the set. He expects the set to step it up for his acting. I don't know. It kind of sells it. Like, I, you know, like in Ed Wood movies, like Tor Johnson always like hit doors and shit. Yeah. And take the set and you were like, oh man, that's crap. And this though, <laughs> because they're 
over-the-top cartoony. You just, well, he's like a barrel-chested madman. Right. And, of course, the whole building would shake when this guy hits because he's, he's crazy. Yeah. You know, he's like two tons killer, you know. He's like a killer whale with feet, you know. He's just a big... <laughs> Yeah, he's just a he's just a big bulldozer of a man. Yes, and he'll he'll prove it. Yeah. Well, Helene grabs the phone and called dials the operator to to get some help, but it seems, you know, she's not very good at telling the story cuz she's got to start over like two or three times. Same and, thing happened with rage. Yeah. <laughs> exact same thing happened. And be- before she can tell that she needs she needs the police, Farron busts down the door and and comes in so she just starts throwing dishes at him he's hit she's hitting him with these dishes and eventually she picks up a vase full of flowers and throws that at him he catches the vase takes the flowers out and then smashes the vase on his own forehead he's a bad man he is he's crazy who does that who looks out for flowers in the middle of a rage like this i know some guy from like a Popeye cartoon or something? I I don't know. Well, then she beans him with a frying pan, and we get a blatant Three Stooges gag with bowling balls on the shelf, including the little xylophone ding, 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 as the three bowling balls hit him on top of the head. That was cool. That was classic. I like that. That was classic, yes. And I called it before the bowling balls even started to fall, and I loved it. Yeah, we're both big Three Stooges fans, so yeah, it's is some of this is right up our alley. We're we're kind of like a hundred percent. If if you're not, please don't watch this movie. You're gonna have a bad time. Now, they haven't made a new Three Stooges film in almost ninety years, and I'll still sit down and watch a marathon of them today. Hell yeah! I think they stopped making them around what thirty nineteen thirty six. I don't know because I, I I watched them in like reruns and stuff. Plus, I was a fan of the cartoon. Yeah. Which came in the 60s. Oh, man. I loved it when they were on Scooby Doo, also. Oh, yeah, dude, man. Hell yeah. That was a good two part thing. Yeah. Do you remember the cartoon where the Three Stooges were robots? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That was so stupid. That came out like in the. <laughs> yeah, that was a 70s cartoon. Yeah, I, I, I just remember seeing it like on TVS when I was growing up. And I'm yeah. like, what the fuck would watch this? But yeah, I did. You know? <laughs> I did too. Well, Farron grabs the carpet and the whole apartment starts shaking and he just pulls that carpet towards him and he's dragging the entire room towards him. Furniture, Helene, everything is being dragged across the room on this carpet. Once she gets almost to him, she realizes, oh, I can just step off the carpet. And she runs for the window and yells for help. Well, Farron shuts her up just before a guy enters the scene and starts washing his windshield. He was parked on the street. Apparently, the storm that blew through left a film on his windshield. So he grabs a rag that he just happened to have and starts washing half of his windshield. Doesn't wash the other half, just the half that that he needs to look through. Helene is hanging out the window. Farron's got his hand over her mouth. She's trying to knock a, a flower pot off the windowsill to try to get this guy's attention so that he'll help her. And as it starts to fall, Farron grabs the plant and, and, and keeps it from falling until the guy gets in the car. And as his door closes with a slam, the flower pot hits the ground 
And so he doesn't hear it and drives off. <laughs> it does it right by his door, though. Right by his door, yeah. Like the worst case scenario. That's another thing with it being like a cartoon. Everything is the worst case scenario. Everything. Yep. But um, it, it everything works out because it's you know it's a cartoon. Well, about this time, Mister Yarman busts in the door with the shaving cream on his face. Still, only this time he's got a baseball bat. <laughs> He is here to take care of some business. Well, Farron knocks out the lights with a chair. He just throws a chair at a chandelier, and all of a sudden, the entire apartment is pitch black. Oh, and the door closes magically. And the door closes magically. Yes, it does. Rather than open the door and let the light from the hallway in there, Yarman decides that, you know, if I'm just patient, just like a rat, you'll show yourself. Farron starts throwing furniture at Yarman. I think the first thing was a table, and after that, a floor lamp. Yeah, lamp. The way they throw it, though, is, like, really weird. Yeah. Like, it's more of a Sam Raimi's, like, weird uh, artsy licensing with the the photography and stuff. But, yeah, it's like a a lamp. I I think, I don't know, it's like some kind of appliance, like a toaster or something goes over his head. Right. Yeah. And then he thinks he sees Farron backlit by the window, so he just charges at him. It's not Farron. It's Farron holding a robe. But Yarman hits that robe and out the window he goes and he falls four stories down to the street and lands on his back. He, he's okay, though. But he gets up, he feels on his face and notices that he's still got the shaving cream on his face. And for some reason, that is hilarious. He stands up laughing and Arthur runs him down with the exterminator van. Yeah, I think he was amazed that he survived, and he just kind of like, I don't know, with those shaving cream, he's like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. Right. I'm lucky to be alive and shit. And then, yeah, totally just gets like hit with a car. Yeah. Everybody's getting hit with a car. Well, the dinner club is now closed, and everybody's filing out. All the lights are out. Victor and Nancy are coming out, and Victor has had a great night. Just (laughs) a wonderful night. But Nancy starts listing everything that went wrong and says it couldn't possibly get any worse. And about that time, a car drives by and splashes mud on her. (laughs) Victor tells her to look on the bright side, and that is the last straw. She just goes off on him. She says there is no bright side. And Victor says, well, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. And she just breaks down at that point. Yeah. So he picks her up and carries her to her apartment, which happens to be right around the corner. Yeah, this whole story takes place like at, at, a, at like a crossroads. In right. The entire story takes place in one intersection. I mean, I think except for like the car chase scene. Right. But and yeah. that looks like it took place between two exits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one row, like little intersection in Detroit. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, she's like, yeah, everything sucks. Like, I had a great time. And then, like, a car comes by and it sprays mud on her, her chest, ruins her dress, you know. And she's like, oh, no, you know, uh, you screw you. And she breaks down. He, like, tries to play the, the guy, the shining armor. And he picks her up. He takes her to her apartment. Yeah. Next, we see Arthur trying to stuff the corpse of Yarman into a Salvation Army donation box. That was funny. That was funny. <laughs> he, well, he can't get him in, though. And somebody shows up with their dog and scares him off. So he drags him into the apartment building. 
We see oh, no. him. He, like tries to do it, and then like he drops him, and then like the 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 blanket or whatever is covering him, and yeah. he's still smiling big as shit with like shaving cream on him. Yes, and that's he when is. The dog, that's when the dog <laughs> up. He's like, oh shit, and like then like he yeah, he's like I gotta get rid of this body. Right. Then we see a police radio. Police are being summoned to an apartment building to investigate a domestic squabble. And it just happens to be the same building that Arthur just dragged the corpse of Yarman into. <laughs> he is uh, waiting for the elevator when he hears the sirens approach. So he starts panicking and hitting that elevator button all over again. I read somewhere that the button to close the door on the, ele- on the elevator it doesn't actually do anything. It's just there to make you feel better. Yeah, most of those, I mean, I've been in a couple of them that it actually worked, but it's like few and far between. Most of them are just not even hooked up. It's just there. <laughs> well, when the elevator finally arrives, there's a kid in it, and he shoots Arthur in the face with a pea shooter and then says I, that he's the captain of this elevator, and we're stopping at every single floor. <laughs> yeah. That's why I wanted to get down there. Arthur has other plans, and he picks the kid up and just throws him out of the elevator. You see the kid flying through the air into the lobby. Upstairs, we get the monkey's hallway shot. Farron is carrying Helene out of her apartment, all tied up when the elevator dings, so he runs back inside. It's Victor carrying Nancy back to her apartment. They get in their apartment, and Farron comes out again, and the elevator dings again, so he runs back in again. It's Arthur coming out of the elevator this time, and he sneaks into Nancy's apartment. Farron tries it again. This time, it's the police coming out of the elevator. Inside Nancy's apartment, she is undressing behind the screen. Victor has his eyes closed, so he can't see Arthur standing right there by the door. Yeah, he's being, uh, you know, chivalrous and stuff. Right. This is probably, like, my favorite scene in the whole movie. Just uh, Arthur... And his reactions to what the hell's going on. Because he thinks his deuce is totally cooked. Right. But somehow he gets away with this whole fucking stick. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy's getting undressed and she hands her dress to Arthur. Arthur's going to wash it apparently. But Arthur has his eyes closed and he can't see her. Or sorry. She hands her dress to Victor so he can wash it. But Victor's got his eyes closed and he can't see it. Arthur's standing there between them. Nancy's behind the sign. She can't see Arthur. Victor's got his eyes closed. He can't see Arthur. Arthur just reaches out and takes the dress from Nancy and hands it to Victor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like little gigs, like little like little things like that. And this whole scene is just like fucking. I'm I'm like chomping at the bits. I'm like laughing my ass off this whole scene. Now, from this point on, Arthur's going to be right there by the door. But Victor is so preoccupied with trying to impress Nancy that he walks past Arthur several times and doesn't even see him. Oh, yeah. The police are knocking on Helene's door, which is all tore up from when Farron was trying to break it down. When the elevator door opens and the little kid is dragging the corpse of Mr. Yarman out of the elevator. (laughs) Cop says, hey, kid, where'd you find the dead guy? Kid says, elevator. Elevator. It's mine. (laughs) I called. Cop wonders uh, what kind of psychopath would kill a man and then put shaving cream on him. And the kid very proudly says, my dad. Father. 
Yeah. <laughs> About that time, the kid's dad sticks his head out the door and says, hey, what are you doing out there? Next, we see two cops and the little boy with a great big smile and his dad in handcuffs all on the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, son. The kid's just thrilled. <laughs> oh, this is the most fun he's had all week. <laughs> well, he found a dead guy, so finders keepers, right? And they right, he got to ride in a cop uh, car. You know, they got siren. Right, he was having fun riding the elevator. He found his very own corpse. I mean, nobody else in his class has their own corpse. Oh man, hell! I remember when I was a kid, I had to walk down a, like a. Um, uh, railroad track to go see a corpse, you know? Yeah, this and kid, hope hope that it was a frog and, and not something else. This kid just opens up the damn uh, escalator in his apartment building. Yeah. Now, she, now he gets to ride in a cop car. His dad gets to go to jail. It's going to be awesome. Best Christmas ever. I know. <laughs> Back in her apartment, Nancy's soaking her feet while Victor washes and rips her dress. Oh, and he's like, Oh man! So like, uh, from like here on out, he's wearing like a lady's apron. Right. He's wearing one of Nancy's aprons because anytime you're cleaning, if there's a woman in the house, you have to put her apron on. That's a rule. Plus, Victor's a girly man. That's true too. I said it. Well, he tells Nancy that he thinks that she's wonderful, and she obviously wants him to kiss her, but he leaves to go get laundry detergent because he's fucking oblivious yeah oh yeah totally <laughs> seriously yeah i usually root for like these underdog types these nerdy guys but this guy really pisses me off you know <laughs> he cannot read a room no he can't even read a book this guy <laughs> he had a book they told you how to pick up chicks and he, he didn't follow like step one season one or whatever yeah well nancy decides it's time to change clothes again so she Steps back behind the screen and she's getting changed. Arthur thinks this is a good time for him to sneak out. I told you, Victor is so preoccupied, he doesn't even notice Arthur. Because Arthur was standing right by the door when Victor walked out of it to go get some laundry soap. To be fair, he's wearing a coat and he's standing right by a coat rack. So he might have just thought he was a hat coat on a coat rack. But yeah, no, that guy's big. He, he, that kid's oblivious. Well, Arthur tries to sneak out the door, but the floor creaks, and Nancy thinks it's Victor that has returned, so she confesses her feelings, and Arthur reveals himself. That causes Nancy to freak out. Arthur goes, Arthur was kind of playing along like he was Victor, having this conversation with Nancy, and then, I don't know, maybe he bought his own act? Well... I'm pretty sure he doesn't get attention from ladies because he's a psychopath, weasel-looking guy. So he's just, you know, trying to get in where he fits in. Right. Yeah, he totally, like, misread the sign. But, yeah, that, that thing's funny, the whole thing where he's like, he's like, you know, Arthur, I've been thinking. And he's like, ah. And, you know, he's like, <laughs> like, just giving, like, simple, like, little things. Well, when he comes around the corner and, and reveals himself to her, he does say, I don't get a lot of attention from ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and then he drags her into the bathroom. Uh, Arthur has come back. So he's got her in there with a, his hand over her mouth so that she can't, he, she can't give him away. Victor tells Nancy about some 
that one of the other neighbors in the building told him there were some sickos with forks in their noses on the loose. Yeah. And then he starts running on about how great she is. And this was funny because Arthur starts predicting everything that Victor's about to say to Nancy, and he's dead on the money every single time. Yeah, like right before that, though, when he when uh, Vic shows back up, he uh, Arthur's got his mouth or his hand over what's her name's mouth, right? Yeah, and then he he calls out to uh, Vic, but he like he kind of like stumbles a little bit, and then he comes out, and it's her voice. Yes, like this guy can perfectly imitate people's voices. Uh huh. Which I thought was like kind of cartoony and fun, but yeah, then then it's like. Man, this guy's such a square. I bet I know what he's gonna say every fucking line, and he does it. And it's he funny. does it. <laughs> but just like that one part where he just all of a sudden like just mimicked her voice perfectly was I thought that was funny as shit. Well, Victor says that uh, he just wanted to tell her how he felt about her before he walked out of her life forever, uh, unless she wanted to say something to stop me. But she can't say anything because Arthur's got his hand over her mouth. So he says he understands and he leaves. Once he's gone, Arthur starts talking nonstop. Yeah. About just whatever comes into his mind, apparently. In the hallway, Victor hears a crash followed by a bound and gagged Helene hopping to the elevator holding a skillet. (laughs) And Victor tells her, hey, there's some maniacs on the loose. You might want to go back into your apartment. And that's when Farron comes out and says, I told you not to call me a maniac and punches Arthur in the face or punches Victor in the face. Yeah, call back. Farron yells to Arthur that it's every man for himself now. And he chases Helene out onto the fire escape down on the sidewalk. Ronaldo is coming down the street with his newest date. He invites her back to his apartment for drinks and maybe a sofa. Uh, But she slaps him and leaves. And that's when Farron comes down the fire escape and conking him on the head. And that's the last we're going to see of Ronaldo. That was funny as shit. Like, (laughs) hey, come on my place for a scotch and soda and or sofa. Yeah. And then like, uh, she's like, you creep. And then I was like, eh, whatever, you know, and like, before they walked up, you know, uh, what's her name? She walks down the thing and it's like no big deal. But like, he's just like, yeah, it's not the end of the world. You know, when the chick leaves him. Right. And then, bam. Like, yeah. Total Tom and Jerry right on top of the head. Yep. That is the last we will see of Ronaldo the heel. Now, this role wasn't supposed to be nearly as big as it was, but Sam Raimi stretched it out quite a bit when the studio told him that Bruce Campbell couldn't be the lead in this film. Yeah. I think that's even why, like, even like, cause Bruce Campbell is pretty much over the top. Right. Right. And if he was the main character, I don't think it'd have been that much, you know, because he's, he's playing, you know, the baby face, you know, he's the underdog that everybody's rooting for. Yeah. But because he was such you know, like a prick as Ronaldo, like he went over, over the top, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's why he's got all the best lines. And and Sam Raimi uses Bruce Campbell as like a self-insert. Right. Like all the movies he's in, it's like, that's my guy. That's my voice, you know. (laughs) It works. It It works works. really well. Oh, yeah. Well, Farron chases Helene across the street into the security company office. Inside, there is uh, 
a bizarre collection of doors. I love this. Yeah. This whole bit. And I don't, you know, maybe it's supposed to be like demos of various alarm installations or something. It's really left up to you to figure out what the hell you're looking at. Oh, no, it's totally, uh, it's like a, a walkthrough catalog for each one of their security doors. Yeah. Well, Helene is doing this weird dance through the doors where she's going through each open door and closing it behind her. And as she's closing these doors, Farron is crashing through them. Running right through like they were like toilet paper. Doors that either one of them could very easily walk around. Oh, yeah, because it's just, and it, 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 that's like, that's another, like a Sam Raimi's like weird, trippy, like, uh, you know, photography like type things. Because you get like all sides of these doors, you know. But uh, at the same time, it's like that in cartoons. Like there's like an endless hallway of doors, you know. It, it kind of yeah. reminds me of one scene in, uh, uh, the Twilight Zone movie, you know? Yep. Where they're chasing that girl down the hallway with cartoon doors. It's just like that. But they go all the way until, like, you get this big metal door, you know? Yeah, almost like a vault door. And she yeah. slams that one, and Farron can't crash through that one. But Helene can push the whole wall over on him and start a domino effect as Farron tries to run back through the doors and gets buried under all of these collapsing walls. It's great. And then Helene runs out into the alley. She jumps up, jumps over or climbs over a low wall and jumps off into a box that's being loaded onto an Emery truck headed for Uruguay. Emery is a delivery service like DHL and uh, UPS and FedEx back in the day. Yeah, they, yeah, it's totally as old school joke. I mean, it, it still works, but yeah, you don't see that brand anymore. No. Also, I think about around this point, once she gets shipped off, this is where the movie just just kind of like is like a like you really got to work yeah. to get. Like, yeah, last. it becomes a job to watch the movie from this point. And you got like maybe 30 minutes left. But yeah, it's it's total slog fest after this. We see Arthur carrying Nancy out of the apartment building, but an old lady sets her dogs on him. She's standing there with a little puppy. And she hollers at him, hey, what do you, you need to knock it off. So what are you going to do? Set your little dog on me? Yeah, I am. And she calls two big Dobermans after him. Those things are like the scariest fucking dogs ever. <laughs> they look like greyhounds, only very angry, demonic greyhounds. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I would take a greyhound over a damn Doberman anytime. Yeah. Now, she sets the dogs on Arthur. And Nancy escapes. She's running through the street until she runs into Farron. He apparently got out from under all the walls and back out into the street pretty quickly. She bounces off of Farron and she climbs into the car with the corpse of Mr. Odegaard. Remember when we stuffed him in the passenger seat at the beginning of the movie? Yeah. Oh, man, that, that scene is classic. And then this is weird scene where Farron is trying to smash the car window with a mannequin that he picked up somewhere while yeah. Nancy's trying to get the car started. Also, uh, I was going to stop a little trivia. Yeah. That car, that Oldsmobile car. Yep. Sam Raimi's car. It's been in like every one of his movies. 
if it wasn't that car specifically that he's had a model of that car i mean it was in all the evil deads uh it was in this it was in dark man it was in the spider-man movies as uncle ben's car <laughs> like he really that's has, awesome yeah he has a hard on for old 86 oldsmobile that's nice or not 86 what is it it's like an 83 or something it's an old oldsmobile and like, like yeah a, he, it, like a delta 88 or something yeah that's what it is and it's a, it's in drag me to hell that movie he made it's it's nice center yeah he puts that car in every one of his well eventually she gets the car started and speeds off with Farron hanging on he eventually falls off the car and jumps into the exterminator van with arthur victor runs out into the street still wearing nancy's apron by the way called it <laughs> He's looking for Nancy. A car comes down the street and an old man's driving and he lets Victor take his car after their cheesy rom-com conversation. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> cab or something. It's like some uh, guy that's like not supposed to be a cab, but he is a cab driver. And he's like, these people, they, they kidnapped my lover. And, you know, hold, hold it right there, son. Do you love her? Yeah, every, <laughs> that, that would never happen. Ever. Never, never. He says, you know what? I think I do. He says, Ooh, yeah. oh, it God. sticks a little in third gear. Go get your yeah. girl. <laughs> it's like some weird station wagon with like a ladder on top. With yeah. a ladder on top. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> well, Victor takes a baseball bat and swears revenge. Inside the van, Arthur is eyeing the cigarettes and Farron tells him, yeah, go ahead. It's okay. Go ahead. Get a cigarette. You know they do this every time. Right? Every time. The, the, the I don't even know why they're friends. Arthur's not. Arthur's not going to do it. He's, I'm not going to fall for it. No, seriously, it's okay, Arthur. Go for it. Arthur finally reaches for a cigarette, and Farron slams the glove box door <laughs> shut on his fingers again. And then they just scream at each other driving down the road. <laughs> <laughs> now we get to the grand car chase through the streets of Detroit. Awesome. It actually all happens on the highway. Yeah. Nancy's being chased by Farron and Arthur in their exterminator van. Arthur climbs up on the roof of the van and starts riding the rat for a little bit. That was Bef cool. Before he jumps over onto Nancy's car. Then he punches through the windshield and just grabs Nancy's face. Farron, <laughs> Farron rams a slow-moving driver and we get our first car explosion. Victor catches up and tries to rescue Nancy by placing Arthur under citizen's arrest. <laughs> that doesn't work, so he, he hangs out of the driver's window. The car's just kind of steering itself, and he's beating Arthur with a baseball bat. Yeah. Farron swerves and rams into Victor's car, knocking him out of the window, and now he's kind of being stretched between the two cars. Another cartoon scene for you. He manages to uh, swing the bat and knock Arthur off the car. Arthur grabs the bumper and is being dragged behind Nancy's car, and it's just grinding his shoes off. <laughs> Victor manages to jump over on top of Nancy's car, and Arthur climbs back up on top of the car, and now they're in a fist fight on top of Nancy's car. Arthur sucker punches Victor. Arthur jumps over to Nancy's car, and now he and Arthur are fighting. Victor and Arthur are fighting on the roof, 
while ducking the overpasses, and somehow they end up on top of the van. I'm not sure how that happened. Well, no, uh, he kicked Arthur on the van, and then Vic jumped over on the van. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Because that's how they get the rat. Yeah. Well, Arthur sucker punches Victor and then gets his electrocution box. It seems it has another setting. He turns it up from man to hero. I thought that was (laughs) That was funny. And now he's going to electrocute Victor. But Nancy comes to the rescue and tosses Victor the baseball bat. And he smashes the shocker box and then delivers just a vicious beatdown on Arthur. Yeah. Arthur starts crying and apologizes. and, And so Arthur just wants one last chance. And Victor's a sucker, so he agrees to it. And while they're shaking hands, Victor says, hey, look out for that overpass. And he starts delivering a beat down on Victor. So he's uh, delivering, he's going to, he's got the upper hand and he's going to take Victor out. Victor tells him, look, there's an overpass coming, but Arthur's not going to fall for that. I just pulled that one on you, except there really was an overpass coming. And now Arthur is out. Yeah, he picked up the rat uh, thing about the bludgeon death with it, and he right. seemed like feet. And he's like, nah, seriously, the uh, overpass, like, a couple feet. Like, he gave him plenty of time fucking, like, because guys like monologuing, you know? Yeah, he and, had to do the villain thing where I explain my evil plan to you. And they totally show it, too. It's like a dummy kid, a dummy holding a big giant rat, and he gets taken out by an overpass. So Arthur's dead now, and Farron is outraged. He swerves into Nancy's car, flipping the van and sending Nancy through a guardrail. And now her car is just teetering on the edge of the bridge, MacGyver style. Victor runs to help Nancy, and the van explodes. He's got a hold of the bumper, and he's balancing the car so that it won't go over the edge. When Farron, who apparently did not die when the van blew up, grabs Victor. He tosses Victor and then tears the trunk lid off and frisbees the trunk lid at him. It misses Victor but knocks down a light pole. Then he tears the bumper off the car. Victor grabs a piece of the guardrail and they have a sword fight on the uh, roof of the teetering car. It is a Skywalker-Darth Vader final duel, basically. They weren't even going to film this and stuff. And like, when they were making this movie, Sam Raimi like went out there and like kind of like, you know, he put on a strong face and he went out and filmed the end of the movie, you know. Right. Because like they they pretty much shut down production at this point. So when they did all this ripping the car off and the, the sword fighting, this is all like he's like, oh, we gotta finish the movie. But yeah, they're fighting. He rips the the, the trunk off the car. Yeah. Frisbee's it at Vic. And then they start their sword fight. Victor gets knocked off the car, and then the car tips and throws Farron over the front. But he didn't get he didn't get thrown into the river. He's grabbed a hold of the bumper. He's gonna pull himself back up, but Nancy pulls the hood release, and when the hood pops, it knocks Farron into the river. Yeah, of course, cartoon logic. Well, at this point, the rivets that are holding the railing start popping loose. Victor is hanging from the bridge, but he wants Nancy to jump out of the car to him. He's going to catch her. She's not going to jump, but he's serious. Come on, jump. I'll, I'll save you. 
and we see the car fall into the river right on top of Farron. Now Farron is pretty sure, pretty sure Farron's dead. Oh, most definitely. And we get a long shot back up to the bridge, and we see Nancy hanging from Victor's ankles. Well, she starts climbing up him, which is one of those things where every time she grabs something, he has to say, oh, you grabbed that thing. She grabs his hair. Oh, that's my hair. She steps on his eye. Oh, that's my eye. We have to narrate the entire thing. Yeah. But she gets back up over the railing. Victor climbs up onto the railing, but not over the railing. And that's going to turn out to be a bad decision on his part. Now they're sitting there, and Nancy expresses her love for Victor. And that's when the railing gives way and Victor falls. We never see him land in the river, though, because he's back in the prison in the electric chair. And they're finishing hooking him up. Full circle. He's still trying to get him to find Nancy so that she can prove his innocence. Remember that carload of nuns from the beginning of the movie? One of yeah. those nuns is Nancy. Oh, yeah. He's driving the car. Yeah. And they're <laughs> almost to the prison. It's almost midnight when Victor will be executed. The executioner's getting everything turned on when the governor arrives. Yeah. But, but he's not there to issue a reprieve, though. He's nah. here for the show. Yeah, he's like, oh, man, I can't wait. Glad we didn't miss it. Also, there's one part where uh, Vic is like, well, at least I got like 10 minutes left. And the executioner just takes his hand and goes up to the clock and Five minutes past. Yeah. There's like five minutes left, and the executioner looks at his watch and says, Oh, that's not right. And he moves the hand up. It's now two minutes to midnight. Yeah. So someone has no lines in the movie. That guy, like, comedic gold. He's, He's awesome. I love that. Oh, yeah. Well, the clock strikes midnight. The executioner is about to throw the switch. When the nuns arrive and Nancy yells at him to stop, Victor's innocent. Turns out that when Victor fell in the river, Nancy thought he was dead. And she was just roaming the city and these nuns took her in. But they can't corroborate her story because they've all taken vows of eternal silence. Yeah, you're going nun. Well, that's all he needs to hear and the executioner throws the switch. And then we <laughs> see a newspaper headline. Hero executed. Almost. Almost, yeah, it goes down. Turns out one of the nuns did break her vow of silence after 40 years. Victor and Nancy are married. <laughs> he goes, she likes me. And starts giggling. Starts nerd giggling. And she just rolls her eyes. <laughs> and roll credits. Roll credits, yeah. But that's not the end. You remember Helene? She got in that box headed to Uruguay. Oh, yeah. Well, that box got dropped off in the middle of nowhere in Uruguay, and she's banging on it for somebody to let her out. Now the movie's over. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's her first mid-credit like, uh, thing. Here. That's like a thing now. Everybody's got like a scene and like a mid-credit scene and like a singer at the end. and like Yeah. But, yeah. You know, that was one of the things that, that they did on The Office that worked really well. There was always a tag at, at, on every episode of The Office. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that shit, uh, that community. The first show that I actually remember doing that, like, every episode, 
was Mystery Science 3000. Like, Mystery Science Theater 3000, every episode had, like, some, like, little zinger from that episode at the end. Right. But, yeah, I love when they do that. I'm sorry I made you watch this movie, man. No, this was a fun movie. I mean, the movie itself stunk, but it was fun to watch it. And, and like, if if Sam Raimi had his way and Bruce Campbell was the main character, because that main character really sucks. And the love interest, she ain't that much better, you know? And I think that casting came down and like because the the bad guys they're perfect yeah yeah they are the only reason i would say to watch this is the uh sam raimi and uh the oh man what's those guys names the guys that wrote it the cohen brothers yeah the cohen brothers like sam raimi and the cohen brothers see where they kind of got their start back in the day and right those guys the bad guys go over the wall crazy banana pants yeah yeah. And, and I mean, why did Sam Raimi take the studio money? Because it's studio money. It's a lot of money. I've never made a movie with that much money. Let me see if I can make it work. And then he learns, oh, I can't work with studio oversight because that sucks. So we've I mean, got some historical significance there. It's always yeah. fun to see your favorite movie makers origin story. Yeah. I mean, he learned. Because, like, the guy's one of, like, the coolest uh, producers of all time, in my eyes. Yeah. Like, now, yeah, I mean, he did, uh, what was that, Blood and Sands, uh, uh, Stars. He does a bunch of star stuff. He, he's a big-time yeah. producer. Yeah. All right, man. That was fun. That that That's a podcast, I think. Hell yeah, man. First one of the year in the can. Happy New Year. I hope this uh, podcast finds you. Uh, you know, and good health, and uh, hope everybody's like you know, not too miserable. Not too miserable. Yeah, that's I'm not a good, good happy one there. Like, yeah, but I'm say not too miserable. Exactly. <laughs> Set those expectations low. Make those goals easy to achieve. Go watch a shitty movie. Go watch Twelve. You know. Yep. Here, new you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.